Brilliant. I'm going to invite uh, Martin to come up and share. We're starting on a new teaching series from the book of Romans today, just called Who is Jesus? Who am I? And Martin's kicking off in Romans chapter 3 this morning. Thanks, Andy. Good morning. Thanks, Andy. Um, that graphic that Sam created, he sent it to me. He said, do you think that's too much for this series? Actually, that's perfect for this series. We're going through Romans. We're not, we're not going to be teaching in five weeks from Romans 1 to Romans 16. Uh, we need five years to do that. But each week, we're just taking a passage from Romans and trying to ask and answer that question. Okay, let's look at this. And who is Jesus and who am I from what, what God's word says here? And um, I'm going to start with Romans chapter 2 and just read a brief bit of chapter 2 because the um, heading for today is the human condition. And if you've read Romans chapter 1, 2, 3 and so on, you know, there's some pretty weighty words in there. Um, so Romans chapter 2. 12 to 16 says this, and I'm going to try and summarize this in two bullet points in a second. It says the word law 11 times in this short passage. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now, it's a pretty dense paragraph, that. Basically, what Paul is saying is, we've all sinned. Every one of us have sinned. We're all going to be judged by God. That's going to happen. And then the question is... Who do you want to defend you when you're judged by God? And that is going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. Um, which is less popular than the song Sally sang a minute ago. But if we look into Romans chapter 3, and actually I'm going to reference what Sally sang in a minute as well. Um, if we look in Romans chapter 3, so fasten your seatbelts, everyone. Here comes Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 20. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. Brace yourselves. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, if Sally had sung some of those words, how quickly you would have seen Andy shut her down, I don't know, fairly swiftly. But, but, and here's the thing, hugely uncomfortable words, because actually, 
you can kind of go, is this really what God thinks of me? Is that what God, but Sally said these things and Matthias said these things and Andy said these things. Is this what God really thinks of me? Because that's what the Bible says. And then you go, no, that's not, what, that's not what God thinks of you. That is actually who you are. That is who you, your human condition is from when you're born onwards until you put your faith in Jesus, like you just saw Paul Huggins talk about, he was an armed robber. This is who he was. And then Jesus meets him in his prison cell. And you heard Nathan last week say, I was an armed robber when he got baptized. He was, not when he got baptized, he said when he got baptized, I was an armed robber. <laughs> and Jesus has saved me, and now I don't need to fear anymore because I know I've got a hope and a future. And I was this. I was these things. I was someone who wasn't righteous, who didn't seek for God, who turned aside, who's become worthless, whose throat is an open grave, whose venom of asps is on, under their lips, etc. You know, all these things are true of every single one of us. It's just true. It's a fact. This is us. But the beautiful thing, the amazing thing is, actually, then when you put it into the context of and Jesus came to find me in my prison cell when I was serving time for armed robbery, and Jesus saved me, even though I wasn't looking for him. And I, this is me. I've done all these things. There's no fear of God before my eyes. I've not known the way of peace. And it says here that every mouth will be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God, and I'm going to be judged by God. But then Jesus has come into my prison cell and said, actually, I'm going to save you, Paul Huggins. I'm going to save you, Nathan. I'm going to save you, Shannon, the Spurs fan. That's how far the grace of God can go. <laughs> Even that length. <laughs> and other Spurs fans. Um, I can't tell you how much I hate football this season as a Liverpool fan. Anyway, um, so let me create some hypothetical characters because actually... These things are all true, and the human condition is that by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And whether we are Jews or Gentiles, you know, Old Testament, Mosaic law, Jews, or whether we are everybody else on earth, you know, everybody else on earth, um, we're all held accountable for our sin. And when people who don't know the law, stand before God and are judged, we're actually still judged because of the sin that we committed in our lives because actually we're being judged by a holy God and we're all going to stand before God and we're all going to be judged. And the question is, when you're judged, who do you want to defend you? And there's only two people that you can choose to defend you. You have to choose one of those people. We'll figure out who they are. So... I'm going to create a hypothetical character now. So if you're ready, Simon. Um, character number one. So mythical character number one is on the screen. This is Evil C. <laughs> who, for those of you, I know there's some people here um, who, who, whose vision isn't, isn't as it was. Evil C on the screen looks very much like Clive Chernick. Um, <laughs> In fact, actually, we're going to be biased against Evil C if we just leave that there. Next slide, Simon. Let's, change, let's flip his name around. Let's actually, let's actually call him Clive. 
So, so Clive, here's this mythical character, Clive, right? Clive is born, Clive lives, Clive dies, Clive stands before God to be judged. Exactly the same way you and I are going, you know, that's our process through life, that's going to happen. And when Clive gets before God, and God says to him, Clive, who brings your defence? Who is it? Who speaks on your behalf? Clive, as you can tell from the picture, Clive says, I will speak on behalf of myself. Thank you. I will bring my own defence. I think I'll be okay. I'll finish my massive dessert, and I've suddenly found myself in the judgment room of God, and I will defend myself. So God says, okay, that's, that's fine. You may do that, Clive. That's part of your choice, and you've chosen to do that. And uh, we'll see what happened to this mythical character in a minute. If you go on to the next slide, Simon. So here, here's an actual person, not just a mythical person. Alex Murdor, who you may have heard of, uh, heard of in the news over the past few weeks. He was a lawyer from upstate New York, from a family of lawyers. And over the past year or two, he was being tried for the murder of his own wife and his own son. And he chose to defend himself. He chose to speak on his own behalf and bring his own defense. And his defense was he got home one night and found that his wife and son had been murdered. And that was his defense. And there was no murder weapon found at all, no DNA evidence, nothing that pinned anyone at the, at the scene of the crime. Except for one thing, and that was... Alex Murdoch's son had made a voice recording on his phone at the time of the murder, which placed Alex Murdoch there at that point. So when his defense came and the judge said, okay, you're defending yourself, let's play the voice recording of what you did. And the voice recording proved he was the one that did it. And he was then given two consecutive life sentences for the murder of his wife and the murder of his son. And if you go on back to this slide of Clive. So Clive has chosen to defend himself. So God then says, okay, Clive, let's play the voice recording of your life. And let's, let's just see what you did. Settle in and we'll go through many decades and we'll hear and see the life of Clive. And it's not too long before Clive's standing there going, ah, oh, yeah, I forgot I did that, and that, and that, and I might be able to get away with that, but actually not that, and that was a year or two that I'd rather no one remembered, and so on. Not forgetting that in Romans chapter 2, where we began, it says the secret things of our hearts will be revealed before our judge. And all the secret things, oh, I don't mean to point at you, Clive, all the secret things of this mythical person, Clive, are revealed in, in the throne room of God, in God's courtroom. And at the end of the story, at the end of it, decades later, God presses the stop button on the voice recording and says, well, Clive, you have no defense. And that's just what happened. And that's it for Clive. And Clive chose to defend himself. And is it that God has set an impossible standard deliberately for Clive not to be able to meet? No. 
God is perfect. God demands perfection because he is perfection. He hasn't set the bar really high. He is the bar, and the bar is perfection. Can Clive ever reach that bar? No, of course he can't. Can any of us ever reach that bar? No, of course we can't. Could the Jews under the law ever reach the, high, reach the point they need to reach? No, of course they can't. None of us can. None of us will. And as Paul says, the, the law is there to teach us repentance, to show us that we can't ever reach the standard and we can't defend ourselves and we won't have any way of standing before God and defending ourselves. It just isn't ever going to happen to any human being that's ever been born. And Clive finds out too late, oh, I thought I could defend myself, and it turns out I have no defense whatsoever. And that's that. And that's Clive. Another hypothetical person. Another hypothetical person. So if we go on, Simon. Right. <laughs> hypothetical person number two, Andrew, let's call him. Andrew is born with a huge brain. <laughs> Andrew lives. Andrew dies. Andrew stands before God to be judged. And good thing for Andrew is Andrew turns up with a stack of books that he's written, <laughs> which Clive didn't. Clive turned up with a massive pudding. Andrew, Andrew turns up with a huge stack of books that he spent his time working on to be judged by God. And um, God says, Andrew, okay, Andrew, put your books down. You don't need your books. Andrew's like, but I've written all these books. This is my life's work. And God says, you don't need, Andrew, put your books over there. Put them over there on that bookcase. So Andrew goes, okay, shall I put them here next to Terry Virgo's books? He's like, nope. No, 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 no. Put them on the floor. And he goes, oh, one of my books is already here. No, 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 that's the one you wrote with Rachel. That, one's there. That, that book's fine. Leave that one there. Put yours on the floor. Just put them on the floor. Um, so Andrew puts his books down because he turns out that actually part of his defense has nothing to do with the books that he wrote and his giant brain. Andrew stands before God. And, then, and God says, Andrew, who speaks on your behalf? And Andrew looks at Jesus and says, he does. I want him to defend me. I can't do it myself. He defends me. And let me read Romans chapter 3 from 21 to 26. So we got up to chapter 20. Here's Romans 3, chapter 21 to 26. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So go back to that picture of Andrew. Simon, please. So Andrew has turned up knowing that God is just, that God is going to judge him, 
and that actually perfection is the only way into God's presence. And Andrew figured out, unfortunately, where Clive didn't. Point at you again, I'm sorry, Clive. Where Clive didn't, I can't do this by myself. I need a saviour. When I stand before God, the chasm is so great, there is absolutely no way I can defend myself. And actually, as it says here, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And that's what mythical Andrew did in his life. And actually, that's what I was standing at the back during the worship time we were singing. And when people are raising their hands, effectively, the people, which is amazing, what you're saying is, actually, when I stand before God and the question is, who speaks on your behalf? At 10 o'clock this morning, the answer would have been, I speak on my own behalf. By 11 o'clock this morning, the answer is, Jesus speaks on my behalf. He's the one that God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. I put my faith in him. I put my hand up and I say, yes, I want to receive forgiveness. Yes, I want to receive grace. Yes, I want to receive mercy. Yes, I know there's no way into the presence of God and into relationship with God unless it's through Jesus and his blood. And in the blink of an eye, you can put your hand up and choose to do that. And actually, if you didn't put your hand up at 11 o'clock to do that, quarter to 11, then you can do it again in a minute when we break bread. Because actually, when Matthias said, I promise you, if you, I forget exactly how Matthias phrased it, but she phrased it in a nice way was, I promise you, if you choose to do this, you won't regret it. There's a flip side of that exact same coin, which is if you don't choose to do it, you will choose to do it alone. And you will one day be standing before God and your answer, please, needs to be, I do it through the blood of Jesus, not by my own works. Because when Andrew then stands before God and God says, welcome, good and faithful servant. Welcome, Andrew. Be welcome. Go and get your books. Let's have a look at the books that you wrote. Because I want to reward you for what you did. I want to reward you for what you did in your life. And Andrew's going, but I thought it wasn't works. You just... I've written books about it not being works, it's faith. Um, and God says, yeah, you're not here by your works. You're here because you put your faith in Jesus, who I put forward as a propitiation by his blood, who chose to do it, who laid his own life down and who has authority to pick it back up. And Andrew, that's why you're here. And now I'm going to reward you for the things you did for me. Andrew's going, oh, okay. But to be honest, Lord, I pretty much sat in urban ground for six months at a time drinking coffee. <laughs> writing books and you know it wasn't it wasn't a hardship that's okay Andrew I asked you to do that and you were obedient and did it and I'm going to reward you for doing it does it matter if Incomparable was the best book I wrote and all the others weren't quite as good as that no <laughs> does it matter that actually I forced my name onto the book I wrote with Rachel and she did it all really it's like no it doesn't matter <laughs> um, I saw Andrew on Tuesday and, and he uh, is fine with me <laughs> I didn't go word for word through it, so it may not be fine at this point, but he, he, was, he was happy that this was going to happen. Um, and then Andrew goes, 
well, what about that book, what I, what I wrote? That book that, <laughs> that book that I, what about the book that I wrote and then spent six months sitting in urban ground on sabbatical? It's like, that's okay, Andrew, rest is good. I created you to rest and I created you to work and when you rested on sabbatical, you were being obedient to me and I'm going to reward you for that. So what, going to reward me for being, for drinking coffee? It's like... I may be on theologically shaky ground at this point. I'm going to move through this bit. <laughs> but the heart is, the heart of it is, uh, mythical Andrew is saved by his faith in the blood of Jesus, welcomed in, into the presence of holiness itself, and then amazingly, God says, and now I'm going to reward you for what you did for me while you were on earth, Andrew. Come in and enjoy eternity with me, which is entirely different to the eternity that mythical Clive chose. <laughs> and just one more, one more example. You can go to the next slide. So, Jeffrey Dahmer, one of the most evil men to have ever been born. Um, he, he was murdered in prison in the mid-90s, I think. Um, he, you know, he did inexplicable crimes. Don't Google him if you're unaware of him because, you know, awful crimes. And um, while Jeffrey Dahmer was in prison, before he was murdered, and actually he was murdered by his, his inmates who, by their own moral law, of life sentences and horrendous murderers when we deem you not worthy of living, we're gonna kill you because actually our moral law is higher than yours, Jeffrey, and that's how skewed the, our own moral law is. Jeffrey Dahmer, while he was in prison, um, a pastor from a church in America was going in to share the gospel with him. And it, it turns out, or it seems, it seems that Jeffrey Dahmer, before he was murdered, genuinely came to faith in Jesus and repented of the things he'd done. And the pastor um, of the church, you know, has gone on record, you know, been interviewed and said, yeah, you know, he, he did. He, he, he was a Christian. When he was murdered, he had repented. He was full of remorse. He had genuinely put his faith in Jesus and asked for mercy. And psychologists interviewed him as well. And, and you know, psychologists said, this person ha has genuinely turned around. He's not, he's not paying, he doesn't seem to be paying lip service to this. He seems to be genuinely full of remorse, repentance. He's pleading for mercy from the people that he's horrendously sinned against and quite rightly serving multiple life sentences in prison because there's still a moral and a civil law to be judged by. Um, <laughs> hey, Michael. Um, and, and, um, totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> Jeff Dahmer. Yeah, psychologist has said, you know, th this person has repented. He has put his faith in Jesus. And, and whether that is accurate or true, only God knows. He, he was murdered in prison and only God at this point, 
out of any of us knows what his eternal destination was. But to all intents and purposes, it seems that he genuinely repented and put his faith in Jesus before he was murdered. And one of the members of the church, of the pastor who had been going in to share the gospel with him, one of the members of the church stayed behind after one Sunday morning and talked to the pastor of the church and said, Pastor, if Jeffrey Dahmer is in heaven, I don't want to be there. I, I don't. I can't. And the thing I want to kind of land with really here is God's judgment is entirely fair. God's judgment is completely fair. If mythical Clive stands before God and the voice recording of his entire life is played, then the judgment of God is 100% fair. That's just true. And God's mercy, that can be offensive. And actually... For, let's say Jeffrey Dahmer did genuinely repent and put his faith in Jesus before he was murdered. One day, you may come face to face with Jeffrey Dahmer in heaven. Because God is a merciful and just judge who will judge everybody. And for everyone who has put their faith in Jesus and genuinely repented, the mercy of God covers all their sins, whatever that sin is, even if you're Jeffrey Dahmer. Which is offensive. It's difficult. You know, when I get to heaven, actually, I want to meet the Apostle Paul. Not forgetting, when I want to meet the Apostle Paul, well, he was Saul who ravaged the church and put men and women in prison and oversaw the stoning to death of Stephen and was approving it. So when I want to meet the Apostle Paul and go, Paul, thank you for writing these words. Well, that, he began as Saul, who was entirely not the Apostle Paul, saved by the mercy of God. He was evil. So is Jeffrey Dahmer. And so am I. And so are you. And actually... The only thing differentiating is who's going to be your defense when you get there. And the two people that can defend you are either you, at which point none of us, no one, is going to have a word of defense, or it's going to be Jesus. And the amazing thing is, it says in um, Isaiah chapter 33, God is our judge. God is our lawgiver, God is our king, he will save us. And the amazing, amazing thing, stunning thing, is the one who will judge us is the one who saves us. Our judge is our defender. Our judge is not only that, but our judge is the one who went, well, you are guilty and I will pay the price. So when mythical Andrew arrives in heaven, actually, mythical Andrew should be judged guilty because he is. And there needs to be a price paid. There needs to be a penalty paid. God is just. It says here, God is just. So a price has to be paid 
for Andrew, for Clive, for me, for you, for everyone who lives and dies. A price has to be paid, and Jesus is the one who paid the price. Jesus is the one who we celebrated last Sunday, has risen from the grave and conquered death. And it says in the book of Acts, you know, with a leveling accusations, it says, you killed the author of life, God raised him back to life. God raised him from the dead, and now he becomes your saviour when you put your faith in him. So when you turn to Jesus and say, I want you to defend me, or you, you defend me, Jesus, not only is he going to give your defence, but your defence is going to be, Father, I've already paid the price for Clive's sin. I've already paid the price for Andrew's sin. I've already paid the price for Linda's sin. I've already paid the price for Josh's sin. Yes, Josh is guilty. I've already paid the price. Welcome, good and faithful servant. And now I'll reward you for what you did. It's an amazingly um, upside down legal system. And it can be offensive, but it's beautiful and glorious. And, you know. Should we stand together? If you're able to stand, let's stand. Sally and Matia, if you want to bring the band back. What we'll do, we'll break bread in a minute or two. Before we do that, um, before we do that, if we can all close our eyes, please. And actually, it, it may be that an hour ago, 45 minutes ago, possibly you were sitting there thinking, oh, I'd quite like to put my hand up because I, I, I think I'd like to become a Christian, but maybe you didn't at the time. Well, now's another, another chance, another time. So if, if, you, if you know God is pulling at your heart this morning, don't resist it. Don't resist him. None of us knows what tomorrow is going to bring. None of us knows what the rest of today is going to bring. And yes, whilst God is a just judge, he is also our saviour. And by a simple act of faith and putting faith in him and in the blood of Jesus, you can, in the blink of an eye, go from death to life, from darkness to light, to go from entirely one eternal destination to another. You can stand before God and have him say, welcome, good and faithful servant, because you stand here by the blood of Jesus. And if God is tugging at your heart now, put your hand up. Because you're, by your act, simple act of faith and obedience, you are saying, Jesus, you are the one that saves me. And every single human being on earth that's ever been born needs saving. And Jesus is the only one who can save. So keep your hands up if you put your hand up, please. 